Boy, we've had a good week. I'm so full, it's going to take me a couple days to just process what the Lord has said. Hallelujah. If you would, open your Bible with me in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9. I have what I believe is uh, an essential conclusion to many of the things we've been studying. Adrian, let me see that hand. Glory to God. Amen. Everybody hear about the testimony? Glory to God. Just love it. Hallelujah. Never, never, never stop thanking God for what he's done. Here in Matthew chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, it's in the New Testament, verse 57, thank you Jesus, came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said to him, Lord, I'll follow thee where whithersoever thou goest. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Interesting answer. He said unto another, Follow me. See, the first guy offered it. But Jesus then says to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Another also said, so here's a third man. Another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, I emphasized throughout this week a couple points about the foundational DNA of who we are. And I began by explaining some of the places or that the Lord has brought us to, even in our name. It's Church of the Word International, because we need to keep the world first. And again, we talked about the Great Commandment and the Great Commission. It's not the Great Suggestion. He has commanded us to go into all the world. He has commanded us to preach the gospel to every creature. Some people say, well, that's your emphasis. Our emphasis is worship. No. You better worship on your way. The Great Commission is for everyone. And it's, it's a command, which means an order from God about which there is no choice and from which there is no retreat. It's a command for all, not just missionaries. A pastor is just as involved in the Great Commission as the missionary who goes. And just so you understand, the word apostle comes from the Greek, 
The word missionary comes from the Latin from apostle. The word missionary is apostle in Latin. The word apostle is, uh, is the Greek word transliterated into the English. To go and, and bring the gospel to unreached. To go and lay a foundation where a foundation hasn't been laid. To go and, and, and infiltrate a culture that has a defense against truth. To go into darkness and bring light. That, that's, that's the missionary role. But the pastor needs to raise the missionary up and send him out. The pastor needs to bring forth from the body the, the prayer support and, and, and the training and the finance. It's like the great pastor in Toronto, Oswald Smith, used to say, why should I preach the gospel to you twice when there are people who have not heard it once? Why should I preach the gospel to you twice when there are people who have not heard it once? So this commitment to the Great Commission is is the root of discipleship. And what you'll find that I, I just, the more I meditate on this, the more fascinating I find it, is that Jesus did not emphasize teaching what a disciple is. He actually emphasized teaching what a disciple isn't. And if you, if you collate all of the things that he said about discipleship specifically, he talked about this guy can't be my disciple more than he talked about this one is my disciple. And the issues that he addressed with, with the, a man not being able to be my disciple basically involved the, the absolute lordship claims that Jesus has. He is the Lord. And we're not to follow him partially, but we, we are to follow him wholly. We're to put our hand to the plow and keep our eyes forward and not look back. Now, I, I've, I've, you know, we all grew up, <clears throat> I assume, maybe we got some Amish brothers in here, but, uh, you know, we grew up with mechanized farming. I never put my hand on a plow and, and plowed behind a mule or a horse or, 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 you know, Jesus's time. It was oxen. I never did that. But I know enough about it that you don't look back or you're going to have a really crooked furrow. You got to keep your eyes on the goal. And the, what is the goal? The goal is the Great Commission. The goal is the Great Commission, the harvest of souls. Uh, amen. Preaching the gospel to the lost. This, this absolute claim of Jesus then has to do with sort of winnowing through the wheat, separating the, the wheat from the chaff, getting to the root of the issue we're going we're gonna to end up coming to the concept of faithfulness. You see, when we talk about calling disciples to follow us, and I've, and I've emphasized this, there's no real curriculum. We're talking about a life. We're talking about Jesus called those men to come and be with him. And Jesus spent the night in prayer before he chose those 12. And, and I firmly believe that Jesus didn't need all night to know which 12. I believe he needed all night to, to call 12 men to die. And he called those 12 men to die, and they did. And, and, and so we, we're, we're going to pray because we're all committed to making disciples, because that's the command. We're born to reproduce. 
Amen. Somebody said, well, I don't feel like discipleship's my ministry. Well, then become a Buddhist or a Muslim, because if you're a Christian, it is. Well, in fact, as I mentioned last night, it's interesting to me that Christians use three times and discipleship's used over 300. Amen. We, we want to impart to those that, that God brings into our life what God has given to us. We're not, we're not selfish about the blessings of God. We know the only way to keep joy is to give it away. The only way to increase uh, uh, our faith is to give it away. The only, in fact, even if we need to be healed, we need to go pray one for another. We understand the law of sowing and reaping. It's, it's the root. It's the DNA of discipleship. Amen. We see it in our children. Everyone wants to see your, your, your children, you know, we don't want them to go through the hardships that we went through, and sometimes that's our mistake. We protect them too much. Uh, but we want them to go further than we've ever gone before. Amen? We want them to be more than we've ever been before. Hallelujah. I mean, that's why I don't understand it. I never have understood it. There's no room for jealousy in the body of Christ or in the ministry because if you've got jealousy, it tells me you don't have a father spirit. You ought to rejoice. I don't know about you, but I rejoice when my little boy, little left-handed boy threw, you know, a, a, a fastball in Little League better than his daddy. I rejoiced. And if my, my boy hits a home run or scores a touchdown and does better than me, I rejoice. Why? Because that's the heart of a father, isn't it? And, and yet I see jealousy in the body of Christ, among, especially among certain groups of ministers or whatnot. It just doesn't compute to me. We want to celebrate when someone else hits a home run in the spirit. Amen. Somebody else has a bigger church. Glory to God. Somebody else has a bigger crusade or a bigger gathering. More souls being saved. Praise God. Amen. It's, it's about that heart of the father or, or mother. Amen. And uh, we, we see discipleship then is at the root of it. And when you call a disciple, you need to begin to evaluate because you've done the time praying. You've done the time praying and God's told you who, who you're responsible for. You know, like I talked about the, thank God for the Rex Phillips. that He began to pray, God, give me a man. And God told him, Dale Armstrong. He didn't know I'd just come to the Lord. He didn't know I'd made a commitment. I mean, I, I made Jesus the Lord of my life. That was it. And, and, and I didn't understand it. I didn't have biblical knowledge. I didn't, I hadn't read the Bible. I just had an encounter with God. Amen. Did you know he's alive? And, and, and I needed disciple. Isn't it good to know that God has everything prepared? And here's this Methodist fella, Rex, praying out, God, give me a man. Well, isn't that you? Can you identify with that? Isn't it time we get on our knees and say, God, give me a man or give me a young lady. God, give me a man. Men, disciple men. Women, disciple women. Amen. We, we ought not need to say that, but that's where people go wrong. They think, oh, well, I'm special. Yeah, you're special in the head. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, so, so pray for who you are to disciple. You say, well, I don't know about that. I don't know if that I'm all cracked up for that. Well, that's, that's, that's kind of sad because discipleship will help you grow. Billy Graham and Paul Yonji Cho had that discussion. And I forget which one asked which one, but one of them asked the other, what would, what, what's your suggestion 
to help someone mature as a believer. And, and, and the other one said, disciple someone. See, when you start to carry the burdens of another believer and you start to pray for them on a daily basis and you, and, and you wake up wondering how they're doing, well, you begin to grow, don't you? I mean, I remember I was only 20 years old and I held that little, well, not little, I held that 10.2 screaming mass of flesh up above my head, you know, and made the, made the nurse almost faint. And I held Benjamin up above my head and, and dedicated him to Jesus. I'm telling you, things change. Amen. Also, I don't care if you are 20, you're going to grow up. You're going to mature. You're going to say, I've got people depending on me. Did you know people depend on your prayers? People depend on you. Amen. So you're going to give your life into their life. But the point at this juncture is, are they going to respond? Are they going to respond? Well, and then let me turn it around because I also talk about this. We never stop being a disciple. We got more to learn. Amen. I'm, a, I'm always going to learn. I'm going to, I'm going to die with a book in my hand. I, I'm a, I'm a perpetual student. And, and, and so discipleship moves forward. I, I want to learn from any minister that I can, can glean from and invest my time serving them and helping them. But now as you look back and you, God says, you know, there's this, this, this person that I want you to disciple. You can make the introduction. They've got to respond, don't they? Let's, let's look at how some of this goes sometimes. Go back with me to one of the most famous discipleship cases in the Bible with Elijah and Elisha. Let's go back to 1 Kings 19. Let me show you something. Man, I feel rich. I got $10,000. Well, they're denarii, but Amen. I'm telling you, that's my new Bible marker. Thank you, Jesus. All right, let's look here in 1 Kings 19. I want you to just see something. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna kind of go over this entire chapter. But Elisha, or Elijah has had a, a very trying time, a very difficult time, and he comes out of it with God's assurances that, no, you're not alone. There's, there's thousands, 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So he, he, he comes into this conversation with God thinking he's alone. But God gives him instructions. Here in 1 Kings 19, verse 15, And the Lord said to him, Go and return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you come, anoint... Hazael to be king over Syria, and Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel, and Elisha the son of Shaphat of Abel-Mehola. You got that one? Glory to God. Shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room or in thy stead. So God tells Elijah to anoint two men to be king and one man to be a prophet. And it'll come to pass that him that escapes the sword of Hazael shall Jehu slay, and him that escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. 
So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. Man, that's got to be the Mercedes Benz of plows. Amen. And he with the twelfth, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Highly significant. They knew what that meant. Elisha knew what that meant. God had said, anoint him to be prophet in your room, in your stead. And he comes, walks by, and he throws his mantle upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah. And he said, let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother. Sounding familiar? Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I'll follow you. And then I'll follow you. And he said unto him, go back. What have I done to you? Notice how flippant he was. He he wasn't going to fight for Elijah to follow him. Hey, if you don't want to hang around, don't hang around. You want to go back, go back. You want to give up, give up. I like reading the Gospels and looking at every time Jesus didn't go after people. I think sometimes we're too weak in what we believe and we follow people around trying to help them understand. It's awful quiet. You know, people are going to do what they want to do. So he returned back from him. And I'm telling you, somewhere in here, Elisha had to make internal decisions. Boy, he made a big one. He went back. And he took a yoke of oxen and he killed them. He slew them. He boiled their flesh with the instruments of the oxen and he gave it to the people. And they did eat. Then he arose and he went after Elijah and he served him. He He made a consecration. He took his prophets. He took his prosperity and he fed the poor. And then he went and he followed to fulfill what God had called him to do. Well, I may be a little bit ahead of myself, but I think Elisha knew that. That he was doing what God called him to do, not what Elijah called him to do. See, when you get into strife with other ministers, generally it's because you think the other guy called you and not God. The other guy failed you. You'd never say that God failed you. You won't blame it on somebody. Oh, I know, because I've been there. I faced the temptation. Remember when I was, I had returned from Ramah, uh, in the fall of 1983, and, uh, I told God I didn't, I didn't want to go back, but the Lord said, I didn't call you here, go back. And I said, why? And give me one reason to go back. And the Lord gave me seven. And uh, one of the reasons he gave me to go back, I, 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 cause I'd told him an excuse. I said, Lord, if I, if I don't go to Ramah, then I, I can't be ordained. And if I'm not ordained, well, who's going to listen to me? That's just how you, stupid you are when you're 20. 
And uh, so when the Lord gave me seven reasons to go back, one of the reasons, well, one of the reasons, the first reason was if you don't go back, Terry Ann will talk herself out of marrying you. That's the first reason. She's still sitting here. She hadn't given up on me yet, praise the Lord. The other reason was if you don't go back, my cousin, John, he said he'd die. Well, he did die three times, but I stood by his bed and called him back. Amen. And and then the third reason was I want you to go back and get involved with a full gospel businessman. So I did. I became the youngest president and full gospel businessman. And uh, he also said that he had a business to give me, and he did. And and he also said, and this was the point, well, the other thing is you need to start the church, which we did. And the other thing he said is I'll ordain you. I'll bring a minister of the gospel, and he will sit you down, and, and he will sit you down knee to knee, and he will put his finger in your face. Well, that's kind of interesting. So to, so to speed up the story, I came back, and uh, Pastor Jim Dumont came and visited me. I, I moved back into my parents' house, and he came to visit me. We went back in the back bedroom, and he sat me down on this little stool, and he pulled another stool up to me, and our, our knees were touching, I kid you not. And he put his finger in my face, and he said, God spoke to me that I'm supposed to ordain you. I said, well, that's the Lord. And so he did. And uh, so then he said to me, he said, now we're going to start this church and I know you're going to do, do the lion's share of the work and, and, and uh, you, 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 you live here. He said, but I'll come down every Sunday and preach. He lived about an hour away in Erie. And he said, we'll, we'll go that way until the, the, the church grows to a certain point and then I'll turn it over to you. I said, sounds like God, because that's what God sent me here to do. And so we started the church in a woman's home. Her name's Hazel Keys. She's my grandma, my adopted grandmother. And we started the, as in, in the home, and then we outgrew that, and we rented a Salvation Army in the afternoon. We started having 2 o'clock services in the afternoon, and people started to gather. I, it wasn't a huge crowd, I suppose 20, 25, I don't know. Uh, a guy named Bob and Sharon Hawk showed up, and bunch of others you know and Karen well that that was was that right at the beginning okay and uh, so no that wasn't right at the beginning it was later yeah not at Grace Fellowship anyhow we're, we're confused on our history but older people get that way so we just forgive us so <laughs> there is a point here so one day I was on my way to church and uh, Pastor Jim was preaching on most of the Sundays. I'd preach, I'd preach every once in a while, and I'd lead the, the midweek uh, Bible study we had. And then we had problems, and I'd take care of the problems. I know we had one church member that just seemed like he kept wanting to commit suicide. And, you know, churches have problems. And babies, you got to change diapers. And, and welcome to the pastorate, you know. And so I was learning all that stuff while Jim was the, the senior leader. And, and I'm just working because the workman's worthy of his hire, and I'm going to be faithful, and, you know, eventually I'm going to be pastor. That's how I'm operating in my mind. And then one day we're going to church. Well, I didn't intend to tell this, but I'm on my way to church, and the Spirit of the Lord comes on me and says, and this was what was odd. The Lord clearly said, they have changed their mind. Well, I don't know who they is. 
They don't want you to pastor. They don't think you're old enough or ready. I don't want you to say a word. I thought, that's kind of odd. So I go, I go into the service, and after the service, Pastor Jim says, hey, I need to talk to you. Can I sit with you privately and talk to you? So we, after, you know, everybody had gone away, I went down into this little basement of the Salvation Army. We're sitting in a corner there, and Jim sits down with me, and he's, he's you know, I, you can tell he's awkward. He didn't know how to say what he wanted to say, and he begins by saying, well, well, you know, you might not be aware of this, but uh, uh, we're doing all this underneath the umbrella of the corporation of another church. And we had a board meeting. See, now there's they. Amen. He's, and I didn't even know that. He said, so, so I just need to explain that. So we had a board meeting and, and, and we've come to the decision that we think you're too young. And it's not time for you to pastor. And uh, we're bringing in another gentleman. He just graduated from Rama Bible Training Center. And, and uh, so we're, we're going to install him as the pastor. And uh, what do you think? Do you have anything to say? I didn't even say goodbye. God said, I don't want you to say a word. I didn't say a word. I, I, I know, I suppose... He thought I was a little bit mad. I wasn't. I was a lot mad. <laughs> there wasn't any little bit to it. But God said, I don't want you to say a word. God knows what he's talking about. Sometimes the best thing you can do is shut up. Keep your mouth shut. Boy, I, I swallowed my words and I gritted my teeth and I, 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 uh, I didn't know what to do. I'd been lied to. I'd been betrayed. Oh, your emotions, you know, you just, you lose it. Anybody in here besides me have flesh? If you're not sure, just don't shower for a couple of days. You'll figure it out. We all have flesh, right? I'll tell you, I was wounded emotionally. It was devastating in part because I'm new. You know, you're new. I was 20 years old. You're new. Don't know much. Think this is the end of the world. Oh, my Lord, I'm destroyed. It's all over. They don't love me. You know what goes through your head. I was so worked up about it. I, 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 all I knew to do was I went and put on some running shoes. And I, and I, and I bust out the door and I ran. Sometimes I drive by it in the car. I think it's funny. It was a little bit over a mile and a half. I ran in a dead sprint until I fell down. Literally, literally physically collapsed. Skinned myself up real good. I was just emotionally broken. Right? And the Spirit of God came. And I still have it written in the margin of my Bible. God came on me and He said, If you obey me in this time, and are faithful, I will see to it that you never lack a Timothy. And I have never lacked a Timothy. Have I, Bob? Have I, Alex? Have I, Sid? I've never lacked a Timothy. And I'm going to tell you right now, 
I've been through a lot of crap since then, but that was the hardest. That was absolutely the hardest. You want to know why? Because I was the weakest. Now I'd laugh about it. Back then you don't because you're, you're young and you're vulnerable and you're emotional and you don't know what's next. See, you ever read about Paul talking about all the times he got beaten? He got, he got whipped, he got stoned, he got beaten with rods. And when it's all summed up, the worst thing that happened to him, as you read it, is the first thing. I got le left over a wall in a basket. It's like, huh? You got beaten with rods? You got stoned? But the worst thing that happened to you was you had to go over a wall in a basket? Well, it's because it was the first thing. It was his first rejection. It was his first trial. It was his first persecution. It was his first bitter pill. Right? But God said, if you'll be faithful, everybody say faithful. See, I, I want you to recognize that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that means we're all going to be taught by the same master and we're all his disciples. So we're going to go through the same lessons. So just like I have to go through a lesson of faithfulness, I can guarantee you on a stack of King James Version Bibles that you will also be tested on faithfulness. Say the word faithfulness. Somebody said, well, pastor, I'm going to be faithful to you. No, I don't really care about you being faithful to me. I want you to be faithful to God. Because if you're faithful to God, whoo, I'm in a good place. And yeah, I went back that Sunday to the first sermon of the new guy coming in. And found out when he came to the pulpit, he made the mistake, don't you ever do this, Bible students, that he told everybody this was his first sermon. If it is your first sermon, don't tell people it's your first sermon. That's like really dumb. Oh, my Lord, was it bad. And I'm not trying to pick on the guy. It was, it was just bad. He read it, number one. He read his whole sermon. And it was bad. You mean you remember that? Oh, yeah, I still remember it because I was struggling. I wanted to get up there and pull him down. I had my, you think your emotions go away? They don't go away. You got to deal with it. You wake up in the morning and you're still mad. But God asked you to be faithful. Don't look at me in that tone of voice like you've never been there. You, 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 you know, I, I, I'm sitting there thinking, no, you're just being critical. And then you'd be critical. And you'd tell yourself, no, I'm not, you know, I'm going to give them a chance. Then you'd be critical. And it's all going on in your head, right? Over and over. But quite honestly, it was bad. So then after the service, we had one fellow in the church that was independently wealthy. His parents had made a whole bunch of money and timber and he, 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 he was loaded. He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth and he got saved. And, and we, Terry, Terry pretty well discipled him and his wife and, and, uh, you know, he's a big giver. So after this horrible first sermon, he comes and visits me and he, and he, he talks about, this is bad. And, uh, you were betrayed and that's not right. Uh, if you want to, 
we just go down the street and start start over, and I'll pay for everything. I thought I was already going through a test. I thought the first test was hard. The first test was nothing. This test is the test. I mean, the first test was just emotions. This test is... But I'd already written it in the margin of my Bible. You want to know where I wrote it? Turn with me to uh, Timothy. Let me see if I can find it here. See if it's still there or maybe the ink dried up. Nope, there it is. It's right there. If you obey me in this, I'll see to it you never lack a Timothy. First Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. You want God to enable you? Well, you got to believe the Bible and follow it. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. See, now, if God's not big enough to accomplish his plans, he's not very big at all. John G. Lake said, men with a true call are not afraid of apprenticeships. So I had that offered, and I could say, thank God. I said, no, let's give the man a chance. Let's, I'm going to serve him. We are a body. We are not a group following a leader, per se. That's not the whole thing. That's not all the DNA. We're a body. Well, there might have only been 25 or 30 of us, but we're family. We've already been through fights together. We've already, you know, been filled with the Holy Ghost. We've already prayed for one another. We've pulled some of them back from the pit of hell and suicide and all kinds of horrible situations. We're family. I, I, it doesn't matter. I, I'm not that important in comparison. We're going to stick it out. And we did. And I'm so glad we did. Hallelujah. And you show yourself faithful and God will move. Turn with me in Matthew 20. Is it all right if I emphasize this point? Because a lot of disciples, they want to go back and bury their parents or they want to go back and say goodbye to those that are in their house. You're going to put your hand to the plow. You're going to keep your eyes on the goal and you're not going to look back. Look here in Matthew 20, verse 16. So the last shall be first and the first last. And here's the point I want you to see. For many are called, but few are chosen. Say that with me. Many be called, 
but few chosen. One of the saddest things that I do when I'm with, generally with other ministers is we sometimes talk about the past and we think, what happened to this one? Well, he's gone. What happened to the pastor that was on the board that didn't think I was ready? Well, he's dead. He died of cancer. What happened to this pastor or that pastor? Well, he's breaks my heart. It, it breaks my heart. He's selling cars. I did everything I could. Bob and Sharon did everything they could. Served, prayed, believed, fasted. The body of Christ cannot afford to lose her ministers. But we do. Many are called, but few are chosen. What did, what did Paul tell Timothy? Let me go back and read it again. He said, I thank God. How did he say that? I thank Christ Jesus our Lord that He has enabled me. Why? Because He counted me faithful. Many are called, but few are chosen. Look in uh, Matthew twenty-two fourteen. Here we have it again. Many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few are chosen. He's repeating this twice. How, how come we've got this calling, but we don't have the choosing? How come some aren't chosen? What, what's he talking about? Well, look over to Revelation 17 and we'll get a glimpse. Maybe just a glimpse, but it'll help us. Revelation 17. Let's look at verse 14. These shall make war with the Lamb. Talking about the devil. And the Lamb shall overcome them. Amen. For He is Lord of lords and King of kings. And they that are with Him are called and chosen and faithful. Faithful. Say faithful. Faithful. So let's go back to First Kings 19 again. Let me show you something. When you pray and God says, disciple this one, you've got to be prepared to evaluate and measure their faithfulness. You've got to be sure that you're not pushing more than they're pulling. You've got to make sure that they're up to the task. Again, I didn't say it, Jesus did. Don't throw your pearls before swine. You feed people that are hungry. Sometimes we're busy trying to stuff things in people's mouths and they don't want it. They're not hungry for it. A disciple, by definition, is a disciplined follower. If they're not following, they're not a disciple. Amen. If you're hungry for it, you'll come after it. So you need to measure their faithfulness and you need to measure how much they respect what God's offering to them and how bad do they want it. Now, the problem in our day, especially, 
is we have so much fame and glory surrounding the ministry that it clouds people's minds from the truth. If you really, though, take inventory in your own life, probably some of the most profound and life-changing things that have been said or imparted into you have been said by obscure people with whom you had a relationship. A grandfather, a father, a close friend, an associate. Why? Because they know you. And you value their, their, their relationship. And God uses them to touch you. But we live in a day, I know, where we chase after names and, oh, there's a new teaching over here. Or this guy's got a handle on that. But the problem isn't that the teaching's wrong or bad. It could be excellent. The, the issue is you got a relationship with one group, but you're chasing after words without a relationship. I don't know about you, but a TV just cannot replace church. Jesus said, love one another. I, you can't get there by hugging your TV. Amen? There's something about family. There's something about iron sharpening iron and the countenance of two friends sharpening one another. And there's something about having enough credibility and vulnerability in a relationship to tell one another the truth. And, and that friend that sticks closer than a brother can tell you the truth and you know he loves you when he's saying it. Amen? And so you got, you got to look and you've got to see if that person respects the word of God for being the word of God, whether it's coming from a 20 year old pipsqueak. So that's why I just admire this man because I was 20 and he was 30, but he was hungry after God, not after friendship, not after fame, not after some flash in the pan but God in a relationship. He was able to see through the flesh to the Spirit. And not everybody can do that. I struggled with it. Like I've told you, I'm just the same as everybody else. I wanted Kenneth Hagin to disciple me. I wanted Kenneth Copeland to disciple me. But it never happened. I didn't get Mr. Miyagi. I didn't get even Yoda. <laughs> but I did get the privilege of spending time with Gene Olin. And I tell the stories that are the cream of the crop and everyone thinks, you know, he walks on water and, and, and yet that's not it either. I saw God in him. But God's in you. And when you take the time to invest in someone, They'll see God in you because you've been up all night praying about them and you have it on your heart to help them if they respect the word and the spirit. I remember I was in, uh, there's, there's, there was a Bible school. It's not so well known now, but it was uh, in the early days when the Berlin Wall fell, there was a Bible school in, in Siberia in a city called Abakan. And it's in the middle of nowhere. It's, it be, it, it's like Titusville on steroids. All right. It's, you just can't get there. And yet everybody got there. And, uh, actually the pastor, Leonid, 
was a, a Ukrainian. Hmm? Yes, finally, a good story about Ukrainians. Ah! <laughs> and uh, they had been visited by a preacher by the name of Lester Sumrall. Twice. Twice Lester came there. And he got there. Lester got there before me. And I showed up. In fact, one of the things that was a big deal was the pastor's daughter. They had a picture of Lester Summerall prophesying over the pastor's daughter. And, I, of course, I hadn't seen that photo. And I prophesied over the pastor's daughter. And apparently, according to Mama, I prophesied the same thing Lester did. And they were so excited about that. So they took two different pictures and put them side by side. So somewhere there's a photo album with Lester prophesying over and me prophesying over. And it's the same prophecy. And they just loved Lester. So much so that the second time Lester visited was in the winter and he accidentally left his coat there. He had a beautiful gray overcoat and he left it by accident, apparently, and flew off. So they took his overcoat and they put it in a glass museum display case. I'm not kidding you. So, so I'm visiting them. And I'm standing there, and there's a card written in Russian about, you know, this is Lester's coat. You know, I was, I, I'm surprised they didn't have it out front for you to get healed by touching it. But, I mean, they're worshiping this relic, you know. They got it in coat, closed in glass. And I'm standing there in front of it, and it was winter out, and my coat was so-so. And I said, y'all mind if I borrow that? Lord, I thought they were going to kick me out of the church. They didn't, they didn't even have a good humor. But I, that's Lester's coat. Well, I kept going back there, I don't know, four or five times. I took Pastor Bill there. I took Pastor David Landis there. And I took Bob. Did you go to Abacan? Yeah. And uh, did you see his coat? You don't remember it. Well, anyhow, oh, I'm sure it's still there. Anyhow, I mean, the building would fall down, but it wouldn't hurt that little glass case because that's Lester's coat. <laughs> so, so I don't know. One of the times I went back after that faux pas asking to borrow it, uh, the, the second in command, who was also the interpreter, became a very dear friend of mine, Oleg. Uh, Oleg was talking to me. I think it was right, right when maybe Lester had died. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Lester had died. And uh, he, he and I are talking about it, and he's reminiscing, you know, how we were standing in front of this world map, and there I am with Oleg in front of the same world map where Lester once looked at this map. And Lester once touched and prayed for this map, so we can touch and pray on this map. And, and uh, standing in front of this map, Lester looked at the map and said, Oh, it's a pity it's so small. The world is just too small. And, of course, that was just one of his memories, you know. And then he started to cry. Oleg started to cry. And he said, if I'd have just known who really he was, we, we, we kept him in the apartment of, of, of just, you know, we, we could have, if I had to do it over again, I'd have sold everything I had just to make sure he was in a good hotel and he was in the best room and that he was cold and that he had the best food and I didn't have a chance to do all that. And I said, you mean like, like, like where you're keeping me?
He, he did. Oh, he loves me. He does. But he didn't get it. This isn't about hero worship. It's about Jesus worship. And if you want to receive from God, you'd better learn now to respect who God puts in your life and see God speaking through them, even when you might not like it. People complain about the divorce problem we have in America today. I'm totally convinced that the divorce problem, and what I mean by that is that even in the body of Christ, you know, they'll say the rates of divorce are the same in the body of Christ as in the world. I'm firmly convinced the reason divorce rates in the body of Christ are the same as the world isn't doesn't begin with the marital unit. It begins with people's faithlessness towards the church. You say, well, this guy's been married five times. Well, that's that's nothing. This guy's been in eight churches. But most people don't even relate that or correlate that or see a lack of faithfulness. Now, don't get me wrong. There are reasons to leave a church. Just like there's reasons to leave a marriage. Ladies, if he's beating you, get out. Paul talks about reasons where you're not in bondage under such cases, but I'm, we don't have the time to get into the marital issues, and that's not unfaithfulness. But we're as flippant about leaving churches. It's a problem. It's just, let, let's just be honest. It's a problem. And it's, it it's generally circulates around a few simple issues of ego, jealousies, I want power or advancement or no one recognize me. And all of that is, if you flip it over, is the antithesis of servanthood, love, and faithfulness. Amen. I'm glad I didn't walk down the street with that brother and start over because I wouldn't have been starting over. I'd have been ending it. I'd have been ending it. And I think about the value that came out of that, that group I still treasure the lessons I learned and I praise God that there's even people still serving the Lord that were a part of that body. Amen. And, and out of that, we, uh, uh, went, went forward and, and, uh, pastored another church and then God dealt with Terry and I. We even brought that church back to the first one and merged them. And then we had revival on top of that. I'm telling you, most people talk about churches splitting. It sure is exciting when churches merge. And God brings bodies together. Amen. And then all of a sudden people started showing up from all over kingdom come, literally, preaching the word of God and, and, and the manifestations of the spirit. We had that when that remember when laughter swept the body of Christ? We had that in Titusville probably 10 years before it hit any, anywhere else. I mean, we were so full of the Spirit of God and refreshed in the Lord because we were we were working at a level of unity. And, and, and was there problems? Tons of them. Was there fighting? Absolutely. Show me a family where there isn't. Hello? You kids probably never seen your parents fight. Probably never. You probably never punched your brother or, 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 or threw anything at your sister. I understand you have perfect families. <laughs> but you're still family, aren't you? You're still family. 
Amen? We're still church. We're still church. So are you back in 1 Kings 19? You getting anything out of this tonight? I want to back all the way up to verse 1 of chapter 19. I want to show you something you might not have known. Elisha was not Elijah's first disciple. I don't know who the guy's name was, but he missed it. No, Gehazi was Elisha's. I'm saying Elisha was not Elijah's first. Here in 1 Kings 19, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. So some demon-possessed woman threatens to kill him. And when he saw that, this is Elijah the prophet, he arose and basically ran for his life. And he came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and now notice this and underline it, and he left his servant there. Somebody says, what's his name? Forget about it. You'll never find out. He was unfaithful. He had a servant. And here's the point that's so sad. He left him when? Not why, when. He left him when he was needed the most. At the highest point of fear. I mean, the guy's running for his life. Fear, persecution. Someone he trusted, someone he relied on, someone he leaned on. Just took off. This is too much. Faithfulness is going to hang in through burnout. Do you know what I mean by that? Faithfulness is going to endure when things don't look pretty. Because faithfulness isn't based on circumstances or people or personalities or checkbook balances. Faithfulness is based on, I'm where God put me. You will never be faithful based on a name. Our motto will not make you faithful. You'll never be f- faithful based, based on how amazing the group is. Cause eventually somebody's gonna make you mad. You'll, you'll never be faithful because everybody loves you, cause they don't. Yeah. No, there's only one reason you'll ever be faithful anywhere is cause you finally figured out that's where God put you and God said it. And if God said it, it's His problem. Well, Lord, they don't like me here. Well, fine. Maybe that's why God has me here to get rid of them. Amen. I had a couple come. I think that we were in pastoring in Titusville. And you have to understand, Titusville, most of the clothing stores major in camouflage. All right. I mean, come on. And uh, I mean, even our Walmart has more camouflage per square meter than any other Walmart. And uh, we still sell guns and ammo. <laughs> Anyhow, we had a family move in from a, a, a major city in Carolina 
and just moved into the area, I'm sure, you know, it was probably worthy of making a movie, a comedy about it. And they started coming to our church and they were so excited because there was a spirit filled church. They didn't know they would find a, a good church uh, like they had in the big city. And they, was, they were there about six months. Finally, they made an appointment with pastor and they came in and sat down and and um, really wonderful couple. And they just started to cry. And they said, Pastor, I'm sorry, we're, we're going we're gonna to leave and try to find another church because it doesn't matter what we do. We just don't fit here. And I said, thank God. Thank God you don't fit here. I don't want you to fit here. I want you to raise the level. Don't you get it? The reason you don't fit here is because you're here and they're here and we're trying to bring them up. They left my office like shouting praises, chewing nails and spitting rivets because they got a vision that who they are, even when you don't fit, God puts you there. Amen. And why were they going to leave? Oh, because, you know, they didn't feel right or they didn't have some emotional. Buck up. Turn to your neighbor and say, buck up. If God puts you somewhere, you're going to serve God. You're not serving me. Oh, Pastor Terry and I, we, we still laugh about this. I don't know. Pastors, if, if, if you haven't encountered this, you will. They'll come up to you. They're new. They've been there two or three weeks. And they'll come up to you. Oh, I knew when I walked in, this was my home. Pastor, I just want you to know I'm in submission to you and you're my pastor. They're gone. They won't be back. Why? Because the devil will come down and just wipe them out. You, you say I shouldn't submit to my pastor? Yes, you should submit to your pastor, but you follow him as you follow the Lord. If God plants you there, then God will keep you there. But when it's all hype and emotion, and this is the best thing since sliced bread, no. Some of these pastors, I see them laughing, so I know it's pretty much consistent. God wants us to be faithful. So the first thing you're going to need to address with your disciple is faithfulness. And you need to watch it. It's really hard to teach. It needs to be encouraged. And to me, the greatest thing that helped me is, no, I wasn't faithful. Focused on being faithful to a man who just preached his first sermon. I was faithful to the God who brought him there, who also died for him, who also called him, who also anointed him, who also brought him through through hell and back and put him there in my life for that moment. And I'm looking at God through him. Now that I can submit to. That I can be faithful to. And if he screws up or he goes this way or that way, if God ain't big enough to take care of him, he ain't a very big God. And then I remember it wasn't long after that. It wasn't long after that. I'm sitting in a couple pews back. And, and imagine, I mean, he came from Bible school and there's a 20-year-old snot-nosed kid teaching the midweek service. I mean, yeah, he even made a statement. I don't know. We'll see if if we continue with that, you know. And so I'm biting my, my mouth. You know, my, I'm not going to say anything, you know. And you're going through all that. And it wasn't a few weeks later. I'm sitting in the, in the seat and he's preaching. In the Spirit of God, I have a vision 
I saw myself laying hands on three people in the front. And I'm thinking, well, that ain't going to happen. And he stops and he says, Dale, the Lord shows me that you have a word about come out of my skin. And I stood up and I had a word, a word of knowledge for healing. Three people came forward and I just acted out what I saw in my spirit. And they, and they, and they, a couple of them fell out. One of them didn't just like I saw in my spirit and they were healed. And I went and sat down and I walked around in a daze after that. You mean God is big enough to not only give me something, but he's also big enough to tell the guy that's in charge what he wants to do? You mean that must mean that Jesus really is the head of the church? That the Holy Ghost really does superintend the service and that things do go by the the way that God wants them to go? A lot of people don't believe that. Well, I don't understand why the pastor didn't call on me. Take it up with him. Take it up with him. I stood in the back of a church, I don't know, a couple of years ago. It's been probably 10 years ago. I stood in the back of the church. There's about a thousand people. It was right after the service and there's about a thousand people milling around between me and where the pastor was on the front row. And I'm standing there just waiting for my wife, I think. And I'm just standing there and the spirit of God comes on me and says, I want you in that pulpit. And I'm like, okay. I hadn't thought about it. I wasn't there for that. I was there to rest. Because I'm out traveling. I don't necessarily need to be in that pulpit. But God said, I want you in that pulpit. I'm like, okay, Lord. And I look up and the senior pastor turns around and looks at me. And he raises his hand like this and points at me. Makes his way back and says, the Lord just spoke to me. wants you in the pulpit. Well, I believe God's big enough to do that. If he's not, uh, you know, who is he? But we have to have faith. If you got faith that he can use you. Well, then you have to have faith he can use me so we can work together. And maybe that's the missing quotient. You mean I got to depend on you? You mean I got to wait for you? Yeah. Ask Moses about that. Ask Moses about that. I'm going to be honest. I've read through the Bible where, where, where the children of Israel sinned. Moses went through all those miracles, all that problems, you know, split the Red Sea for crying out loud. That's, that, that's pretty hard one to compete with. And then they still wanted to fight over who should be the leader. Right? And then in the midst of all that, they go making a golden calf and worshiping idols and God comes down. I mean, even God is ticked. And, and God, and this isn't the rich guy saying, let's go down the street and start over. This is God. And he comes down and says, I'm going to wipe them all out and we're going to start over. This isn't the rich man. This is God. I'm going to wipe them out and start over with you and your wife. And Moses said, no, you're not. Now, I'm going to be honest. There was a time you would not want me to be in Moses' place. Because when I was 20, 21, 22, I probably would have said, can I help? How can I serve you, Lord? But I've matured a little bit since then. 
I believe in the body. I believe in the work. I believe in the gifts of God and their treasures. And, and they're in, and they're in your children and you see it and you, what you believe in them. Why? Because they're, they're blood and bone. And you see their little personalities developing. You see, it almost, you could almost predict where they're going to go, right? And you just nurture them and you raise them up. And, and you, and you help them on their way. And you believe God, they're going to be, they're going to go further and do more than you ever dreamed. And if you don't have that in you, I'm not sure what's in you. So this guy, he, 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 he leaves his servant there and we never hear another word. But now notice this. Go with me to second Kings. Second Kings chapter two, verse one came to pass when the Lord would take up Elijah to heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah went with Elisha from Gilgal and Elijah said unto Elisha, tarry here, I pray thee, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. See, now, now remember what we just read. There was another servant. We don't know his name. And it says it very, very clearly. Elijah left him there. Didn't say he actually ran away. It says he left him there. Well, what's he doing here? He's trying to leave Elisha. But Elisha says, "Uh uh-uh, Papa. Uh Uh-uh. You ain't leaving me behind. He said, yeah, the Lord wants me to go over here. You, you, You stay here. Elisha said to him, As the Lord lives, you just, I don't know that you saw it. Everything I just said about submitting to God in the man, what did he say? As the Lord lives. See, I'm not, I didn't submit to a Raymond grad who just preached his first sermon. No. Who, 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 who's Elisha submitting to? As the Lord lives. See, there's only one thing that's going to keep you faithful. It's God. And if God didn't tell you to join that church, what are you doing there? I went to Raymond. I was, actually, I was 19 years old. I'd been preaching for, for three years. I started preaching when I was 16, but I still was insecure. I thought I needed Bible school. I'd read all of Hagen's books already. But I thought I needed Bible school. I needed a diploma. I needed to be ordained. That's the way you're supposed to do it. And so I went there, and the first day I arrived, I'm standing in Kenneth Hagen's office because I find out my cousin, my grandmother's cousin, is Brother Hagen's secretary. And I'm just to be honest, you got a chance to puff up your ego. And they leave me alone. She leaves me alone in Brother Hagin's office. And I'm looking at all the pictures on the wall. I'm looking at his desk. I'm, I'm looking at a doctor's thing that was on the wall of his healing. I'm like, and the Lord speaks to me and says, what are you doing here? I never called you here. Go home. See, I, everything I did after that was compromised. You got to do what God tells you to do. And if God puts you in a church, you're bound by what God told you, just like you are in a marriage. 
I mean, I, I never have understood the flippancy. But, but the reality is, maybe, you know, stay in Bethel because it's going to be better for you. It's going to be easier. We don't know the trouble I might be getting into. God's calling me over here. As the Lord lives and as your soul lives, you're going to have to put up with it. You want the spirit of a disciple? That's it right there. You want to learn how to pray? Find somebody who's praying and getting results. Show up on their porch if you need to take a sleeping bag until you find out how to pray. Pursue. You have to have that spirit of a disciple in you. Where God puts you is where he's planted you because that's where you'll grow. And if he hasn't planted you, you're just not going to grow anywhere else. You're going to falter. The roots won't find where you need to be. And you won't end up fulfilling the purpose that God has for you. Now I'll close with this. And I'm only talking about these things to illustrate your life. It's your commitment to what God tells you to do that I'm after. All right? But sometimes you just simply don't understand, and that's why you don't commit. But God doesn't have to explain everything to us. Oh, I've wanted him to. It would be maybe. But then you're bartering. See, Jesus said in John seven seventeen, if any man will do my will, he will know. See, the question is first your willingness, then he'll give you the revelation of what it is. But see, if he says, go into all the world and start in Hawaii, oh, I'll submit to that. <laughs> right? So it's really bartering. No, that's why you have to be ready to do his will when you don't know. Then when you were prepared to do his will no matter what, that's when you begin to see it. Are you, are you following me? I spent almost 25 years going throughout the former Soviet. And several times I went through the city of Chelyabinsk. Actually, Oleg ended up pastoring in Chelyabinsk. And we had some amazing meetings there. We helped the church grow. He brought it up to several thousand. And, and I, I, I just loved that city. The Spirit of God moved every time I was there. I loved the people. I knew all the leaders. And Oleg got called by the Lord to move to Moscow. And he, and he, and he, and we talked and he, he says, I need to find a new pastor. Do you want a pastor in Chilabinsk? A church of about, at that time, I think it was almost 3,000 people. Well, even in Russia with the finances, you got 3,000 people. That means I don't have to campaign for money anymore. I don't have to do fundraising. I can fulfill what God called me to do. I can, I can send teams throughout Siberia. I can fulfill my vision. This must be God. So I went to the Lord about it, and the Lord said, no, in this time, I need you to plant a church in Lancaster. And I, I had, I'm just going to be honest, you know, it's long enough ago, long time enough past that I could just lay it out. It's the last thing I wanted to do. I mean, the first thing I said to God was, uh, I'm, I'm going to be labeled as a, a sheep stealer. I love Sam. Everybody's going to misunderstand me, and I, I'm going to be crucified. This just, uh, it, you know, I, I, everything in me was like, uh-uh. And then I went and fasted 
and prayed up in Meadville for, uh, and Bruce Latibue had one of those chalets and I fasted and prayed there and tried to get the mind of God to change. Let's <laughs> just be honest. <laughs> and, and, and I, and I got nothing. That was just, just, that, those was three days of fasting. It was just pure misery. And I, and I, and you gotta understand me in this. Why I'm miserable is because I know there's only one thing I enjoy, and that's doing the will of God. That, you know, somebody said, well, you enjoy going over here, over there. Well, sometimes yes, sometimes no, but I always enjoy the will of God. Right? I mean, it's great if God sends me to Hawaii. Yeah, I enjoy it. But it's great if He sent me to the Sahara too. And I don't mean the hotel. <laughs> so I was driving back from Meadville. When he was gracious. And the Spirit of God came on me and he said, you're looking at this the wrong way. He said, I need you to start that church in Lancaster. And then I had these little mini vision. And I saw several people, but primarily one. He said, if you don't start that church, they're not going to fulfill their ministry. And I started weeping and I got all soft and the Lord reached me and I said, okay. And you know what happened. But what you don't realize is eight years later, eight Years later, think about this family. Eight years later, if I had taken that church and the Russians invaded Crimea and the Russians invaded Ukraine, I would have been on the wrong side. I'd have been in the wrong place. I would not have been positioned to take the next step. See, you don't know the next step. You don't know when God's going to call on you and say, now's the moment I need you. Now's the time you pick up the water pitcher and you head down the street because the Son of God needs to follow you to find the upper room. That God orchestrates all of our life, not just bits and pieces. And He brings us to a place, if we're faithful, to where we're completely fulfilled in the call of God. Amen? I know the faithfulness is a quality that, that quite honestly is, is made up of many, many choices and decisions that you have to make when you're in friction with another believer. Amen. And without that friction, you haven't even been tested. You're not going to develop any muscles without resistance. So sometimes that problem in your life, it's not, you can, you don't see it as good or God. But I, I look back and I, and I think all those tests, I, and I'm, I know some of you are thinking about God's processing in your life. And I want to encourage you in this. That's why I keep coming back to this. I watched Katie and Shane face it. They had to be faithful. In a horrible situation. And they came out smelling like a rose, glorifying Jesus. And it's been nothing but promotion, promotion, and promotion. And the fulfillment of the very dream that they thought was ruined. It's not ruined at all. Amen. See, Moses had a dream that was real. But like Bob was trying to explain to us earlier, he was just out of timing. Moses knew he was the deliverer so much that he was willing to kill over it. 
And he killed an Egyptian, hit him in the sand. And one of his, one of his Hebrew kinsmen said, who made you a ruler and a judge over me? You're going to kill me like you did the other guy? Well, who had made him a ruler? God had. It took 40 years for him to work it out. 40 years. I used to think that's just too long. I started preaching when I was 17. I'm 57. That's 40 years. Maybe it's time for me to get it right. Ha! Amen. I'm in for that. Look at that. I can't believe the Armada landmark is over. I think this is the best landmark out of the 33 that we've had. I think this has been the best one. In the Spirit. Yeah. Stand up on your feet. There's only one thing I want out of you tonight. I just want to know that it's a heart cry that you have to be faithful. Listen, ain't no pointing fingers anywhere. We've all missed it. Certainly don't look at me. I've missed it. Maybe in that one I talked about, it's nice to talk about the one where I did where I didn't miss it. But we've all missed it. But all I want all I want to know is that there's a heart cry. Yeah, come on, John. Come up and Stroke the ivories, whatever it is the Lord tells you. Whatever it is in you, I want to encourage you to be faithful. To you young people, tough it out. Be strong and committed to Jesus. Not men, not institutions, organizations, groups. Those, those fads will come and go but you're making your commitment to Jesus. I'm going to put my hand, anybody in here besides me, you're going to put your hand on the plow and you're not going to look back. You're not, are you, Josh? This time's for real. This this time we're, we're moving forward and there's no shifting, no, no shifting sand under your feet either. You're going forward to do what God called you to do. And for some of you, I want to encourage you. It's not over. You don't understand all the reasons. I didn't understand why he didn't, wouldn't let me take that church, you know, in Shilabins. But eight years later, I sure understood. Eight years later, when I'm meeting with presidents and, and generals and all, all these other things, he, the way he used me, he couldn't have done any of that. And I'm thinking, wow, I was so stupid to even shed a tear and struggle for a minute. But I did. I struggled for a while. Let's just release it to the Lord. Say, Father, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to go where you tell me to go. And I'm going to grow where you plant me. And I'm going to bless the family. Those around me. I'm going to speak good and not evil. I'm going to walk with a good report. I'm going to believe the best of every person. I'm going to bring God into the room because the Lord lives in me. So it's sufficient for everything. I don't need more. I don't need money. I don't need recognition. I don't need fame. I'm a child of God. I'm a son of the King. I've been born again. I am the redeemed. I'm following His plan for my life. 
and it is good. Now praise the Lord. Hallelujah! Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Now I want to close with this. Jay, if you would come. About a third of these folks are from Colorado. So I just thought you ought to preach a little bit to them or give them a word of encouragement. Thank them for coming, Pastor. I am so well pleased. <laughs> they spent a lot of money to get here, didn't they? They spent a lot of resources, a lot of time. It started with LTS. I know it was LTS that I think knit us together as a group. And I, I, I believe there's great reward for you because of the sacrifice this week. And as your pastor, I will die for you. I will pray for you. I will have do everything I can. And the anointing that's on me for Jesus to live through me to you. And thank you for coming out here. Now I'm doing this because the Spirit of God told me when you go back, you're going to have a surprise. And that is the devil's going to try to bring strife into your church. And we're just not going to let that happen. Amen. So what I'd like you to do is just, you know, you might not get them all, but I, I want you to call them out by name and point at them and speak a blessing to them on the Spirit, in the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Because you've seen what God's done in them. Well, come on up here, and I'll, I'll, I'll pray over you guys. Um, all of you from Colorado, come on up here. Thank you, Jesus. Kim, you come up here. Hallelujah back and finding strife. Amen. They're, they're, you know that's just the devil, right? I'm going to need your help. I need your help in, in, in declaring that strife's not allowed. You know, we had, uh, I'll just give you a little example. One night after church, the children came home and uh, and they were talking about some strife and, and the, 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 the youngins, you know, things going on. And uh, we just gathered our children together, Kim and I did, and, and we said, well, it stops right now. There's not going to be strife on our, in our house. Well, the same way as there's not going to be strife in our personal house, there's not going to be strife in our church house. And we're just going to declare it, and, and, and offenses will come. Kim and I sometimes get offended at each other. But you know what? We've committed our lives together. And that rides above any of the offense that happens. And as, as we have a two-way street of commitment between all of us, then that makes it easier when the temptation comes that we can say, no, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen in my house. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Let's just pray in the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you for Scott and Lori 
and everything that you have planned and called them to be. Father, I just thank you for the heart that you've placed in Scott to serve and the heart that you've put in Lori, uh, the service that they're bringing to the youth and, and helping the youth uh, live their life for Jesus. Father, I thank you that that is being developed right now in Jesus' name. And this week, this week of saturation is a landmark difference in your life. And I thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Christina, you have done, you've been an amazing mother to your four children. And Father, I thank you for the faithfulness and the determination of serving you. Serving the Lord, just, just her determination to hear His voice, her determination to go out and say, I will do what God said no matter what. There's fire in your, in your veins, Christina. And Father, I thank you for that strong personality that comes out because you need that Amen. to stand Amen. before the enemy. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Father. Lee and Joyce. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> you know, we met at a conference. How many years ago was that? Five years ago. We met at a conference and it wasn't anything holy. <laughs> it was just passing by, hearing a word, right? And, and and arresting your attention and you coming back. And God then knit our hearts together. And, and the other night I brought Lee up uh, and I just wanted to um, tell Dale that that the the direct line of discipleship. <laughs> Dale, Sydney, <laughs> and myself. And, and, and I said, this is my disciple. <laughs> and, and, and we laugh about it. It's a joke. But, but Lee is pregnant. <laughs> because there's another one coming. You're going to disciple somebody. And it's going to continue down the line. And you know why I know that? Because you are a faithful man. And the last... Five years has told he might as well use you for an example. In the last five years, you guys have been in the prayer room every week. Pre-service prayer. When you're not there, I feel it. I'm going, where's Lee? <laughs> They're not here. And you know what? There's going to be a reward and a blessing for that. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You were with us at the beginning when there it seemed like, I, I remember when, when I uh, asked you to move out and I thought it was silly and I didn't want to do it. And then I realized if I don't, I'm in sin. <laughs> so I decided to not sin and I'm going to ask you. And then you guys laughed and said, well, the Lord was already dealing with you, right? And, and, and one of the biggest reasons I hesitated to ask you, because I was like, what in the world are you moving to? It was just Kim and I and about, I don't know, four people. But it was the Lord. 
and he's going to reward you for that. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Marlon Lene, it's been an, an honor, the growth and things that have happened over the last couple months couple years you've been coming three or four years right and uh marlon marlon when uh when they first came marlon was pretty sure i was preaching uh, wrong doctrine <laughs> and marlon came and, and and he and he said i had he had to have a meeting with the pastor and he came down and and he just wasn't sure but you know what something it was the spirit of the lord that kept you there to hear me out Right, and and I thank you for coming that morning because that morning, you know, I, I had to I had to deal with try, wanting to be offended, could have been offended, all those crazy weird things, right? And, and and I just, but I had enough sense and maturity at the point at the at the time to see your heart, and it's a good one. It's a good. And something that, that word that kept coming to me uh, in this conference is pillar. Because you have been planted as pillars in our life. Pillars. And, and, and I value that. And I never want to take that for granted. Because I'm thankful for pillars behind us. It does get lonely sometimes. And when you know you can look at these people and say, they got my back, it does make it easier as a pastor. Because we're in a place. We're, we're in a place. We're in a, we're in a, uh, we're in a battle. And it's going to take every one of us. And it's going to take us all recognizing that. Right? It's going to take us recognizing that, recognizing that we're not the enemy against each other, but we have an enemy and we got to work together. And to have somebody that strong behind us is so rewarding. And you do not know how much that means to us. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Vern. You know, six months ago, the Lord hadn't connected us yet like this. And uh, I remember when you when when I found out that you're going to take the LTS training, I about fell out of my chair. I'm like, Vern's are coming for LTS. That's amazing. <laughs> and I believe that there is a connection, and, and just. In, in this conference, when um, hanging out with you all and, and the friendship that I believe is, was rekindled between us, that I don't know, through time, sometimes things get lost, right? But something got rekindled. And, and it, it's my desire that that continues. Because I believe, I believe I see a man and a woman of God that has tremendous potential and a call on your life. 
and I want to do everything I can to develop and help you and push you into the place that God wants you to be so that you can be the best versions of what you are to be. And I'll never forget what you said about your business and how you work at a place that everybody has your back. And I want you to know that you're attending a church that we have your back. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I value your friendship, I really do. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. There's some things being healed even right now. There's some there's there's healing happening. The anointing heals and breaks the yokes. And that healing's happening now. And I thank God for that in Jesus' name. And takes a man to stand by his wife. Hallelujah. Well, youth. <laughs> I have an assignment for y'all. Some of that dancing that was happening up here. I need you to take that back to Colorado. I know some of you are on the worship team back there. But you're going to be dancing while you're guitaring. I don't know how that all works, but it's going to happen. And some of that wild abandon of dancing is needed in our church. And some of us adults need to take lessons and learn how to dance and unhook the plow. (laughs) This is a little different plow than what was talked about earlier. This one's the one that keeps you from dancing. You got to unhook that, right? got to unhook that. So that's your assignment to take the fire of God to Delta, Colorado. Because we need Delta changed. We need Delta changed. Can you do that for me? Stay fired up for Jesus. Amen? (laughs) Hallelujah. Thank you, Dale. I did not expect that. Well, thank you. We're just very, very proud to see what God's doing in you guys. And and you all know, I mean, I'm not rehearsing anything. You could have closed up the church. You could have came you could have came here. It'd have been easier. But I mean that beautiful VFW with all those beautiful smells. And no windows. But now God's given, God has given them a building. They are now officially the owners of a wonderful property with a manageable payment and, and, uh, some, some, uh, outside, I don't know how big was it, an acre and a half? 1.3 acres. 
And you can seat about 110? 100? They got a great area for children's ministry. They got a, a kitchen. They got a nice place for LTS. And I think about 14 LTS students. 13. Glory to God. And uh, they got a future in front of them. Hallelujah. Before you know it, there'll be two or three more churches out there peppered on the west slope. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, anybody want to shout hallelujah one more time? Glory! Now, I want to brag on them just a little bit more. They had a missionary visit them. I won't name him or Larry Mills would be embarrassed, but Jay invites them out there to minister to that little church out there on the west slope, you know, where God doesn't do nothing. And the Lord spoke to Larry to go, but you're not going for the offering. <laughs> I think they sent him out with, what, almost 8,000? Or was it more? Almost 10,000 in an offering in the Great Commission. Wow. Amen. I've been in churches and preached to about 2,500 people and they didn't give that much. Just to put it in, just so you know, that's Jesus. All right, one more time, shout hallelujah. Glory! Hallelujah! Hey, you're at Church of the Word International tomorrow night at 7 o'clock, or no, 6. 6 o'clock tomorrow night, not 7, you're late if it's 7. 6 o'clock, Church of the Word International. And you know what happens there. One way we love God is by loving one another. Don't forget to fill out the, the thank you forms or the testimony forms. Terry and I love you. See you next year, third week of June. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Can I hear a praise the Lord? (laughs) You don't need a mic for that. To worship. To battle. So as this week is coming to an end, let's continue to know that we can worship wherever we go, 
and we're also engaging in the battle. Amen. We know the war is already won, right? Yeah. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, let's worship. Okay. Here we go. Woo. We believe that the Father, you're my Father, our Father. Oh Lord, thy kingdom come now here in this place. Heal the sick that are here. Move by the Spirit here and bless your people. Give the rain, the rain, the latter rain upon this earth. We thank you, Father, that the power of God will flow into this new generation and the testimony of the Lord Jesus will be seen we give you praise and honor for all that you've done this entire week and the, for every word for every prophecy for every word of knowledge for every word of wisdom for all that's been imparted all anointings and prayers of the saints every kind word every encouraging word every moment of fellowship because I know you wrote it down in a book I thank you for these people that have invested their life and their time to seek your face and to seek you diligently so I know <laughs> yeah we both know Lord that you're the rewarder of them that diligently seek you and the reward is there and coming upon them I believe many will return home and find bills paid and they'll find problems paved out and they'll find difficult situations made simple I thank you for it Lord I bless you for it we are the blessed people we are the redeemed yeah let the redeemed of the Lord say so I'm redeemed I'm redeemed I'm redeemed I am redeemed hallelujah Glory, glory, glory to God. Hey, you're at Church of the Word International, and one way we love God is by loving one another. So turn around and greet somebody, shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck. Introduce yourself, tell them your name, ask theirs. Jesus is here, love is here. Be lifted higher. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. One more. Be lifted up. Be lifted up. Be lifted higher. 
Thank you, guys. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Glory to God. Thank you, Kevin. Hallelujah, brother. Amen. Father. <laughs> Bless you. You guys worked so hard this week. Bless you. How about a shout out to the worship team? They sure worked hard this week. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Glory to God. We also want to thank uh, Frank and Catherine, Aaron, Ray, and Shawnee, Monica, Rebecca, and Troy, and Reba, and the whole family for too much food, too much blessing, and too much fun. Thank you. Thank you. Amen. I think it was, it was almost comical when uh, Shane set up the event manager, and we started getting calls that the conference was sold out. And, uh, well, it was. <laughs> Hallelujah. Not sure what we're going to do next year. We're just going to have to feed them out in the field somewhere, I guess. Amen. That'd be all right. We'll get Bob to multiply bread or do something like that. Amen. Praise God. We'll need a bigger building by then. We'll have a bigger building in Jesus' name. Amen. Get our faith on that. Glory to God. Of course, let's not forget, uh, there you go. Uh, <laughs> I want to thank, uh, in particular, my wife, Terry Ann. Amen. She's the one that makes all the sacrifices. You all probably know that. Amen. But how about a shout out for Terry? Praise the Lord. Amen. Now this, though I don't have flowers for my own wife, isn't that terrible? This is for somebody else special too. Where's Debbie? Yeah. There she is. Yeah. Thank you, Debbie. No, oh, come on, make her blush. Come on, a little bit more and she'll get red. This is from everybody. And, and. <laughs> Amen. Glory to God. Isn't Jesus wonderful? Hallelujah. And so many others, the ushers and sound and, and Robin, he's been digitizing all this and. Uh, for those that have asked, the sessions are all on the CWI word site, or word, uh, website, churchoftheword.com. Praise the Lord. So if you'd like to get a copy of any of the services, the prophetic words are right in there as well. If you know when there was something said prophetically and you want a copy of that, just go to that day and I'm sure you can find it. Praise the Lord. And I encourage you, you got emails, spread them around. Those messages are powerful. They're full of life. Send them to your friends and your family. Amen. Send them overseas. Send them where they're going to do good. Hallelujah. Let's publish the word of God. And I really would like to ask you uh, a personal favor. Favor. I've been praying in tongues too much. I can't even speak in English. A personal favor. Flavor. <laughs> 
on the back table as you go out, uh, we've got uh, Debbie made up some uh, comment forms for the conference. We read through these last year and just about cried. There were so many wonderful testimonies and comments. And uh, so if you'd pick one up and, and uh, give us a little bit of what God's given you, we'd be just so blessed. That helps us in our planning. It helps us to know how we're serving you and how to serve you better. I think we really hit the bullseye on the, on the time schedule. I, I really liked starting at 1 o'clock and... I get to sleep in a little bit, and, and maybe you do too, I don't know, or maybe you get to do some of the laundry or things that need to be done around the house. And, and uh, But then again, this year, it's been kind of new for us to have so many people fly in from faraway countries like Colorado. <laughs> and uh, we, hope, we hope to have more next year, and maybe we'll have, you know, some, some folks from other places. I believe that we will, in Jesus' name. Amen. I think uh, we're, we've yet to see what God's going to do with that Monday night offering in the Middle East. And we're not talking about money, or we're not talking about even the, the, the wonderful family to which it was targeted. It was what God did, and where our faith is on the line for salvations and for the gospel to go forward because we're committed to the Great Commission. Amen. I mentioned it the very first night. I learned early on, if you'll keep the great commandment, I may remember the great commandment, the love of God, right? Love one another as God loves us, right? The great commandment and the great commission. If you can keep one of them in your right hand and one of them in your left hand, all of God's holy scripture and all the doctrines and all theology will balance out. But if you lose sight of the love of God or you lose sight of the Great Commission, everything will get a little bit warped and distorted. And, and I believe that's the, the divine tension that, that we need to keep there, right? Amen. It's not, how many of you know it's not about us? What have we learned this week? That we learned John 3.16. If God so loved the world and he was willing to give his only begotten son, he's willing to give me. If he was willing to give Jesus... And Jesus uh, participated in it as well. I, I'm willing to participate too. How many of you know when Abraham raised that knife to slay his son and to destroy his promise, Isaac had to cooperate. Isaac was there too. Isaac was a participant. We talk about how God so loved the world. How many of you know Jesus had to participate? Jesus had, had, had a part in that contractual uh, uh, de deal that went on called the drama of redemption. Amen. And we know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But Jesus, the Bible says, gave himself in Ephesians. We read this because he loved the church. Amen. I believe when he walked up Golgotha's hill, he was looking at you. I believe if he stumbled under the weight of that cross... He got a glimpse of your face and he got a little spurt of strength and he stumbled again and he saw your kids. Whew. Well, we can go home. I preach myself happy. <laughs> Amen. Thank God for Jesus that he went all the way. What if he'd have gone halfway and said, no, that's far enough. We wouldn't be here. Thank God he went all the way up Golgotha. Anybody in here ready to go up all the way to Golgotha with me? We're not turning back, are we? We put our hand to the plow. We're not turning back. 
We're, we're, we're not going to falter. We're not going to fail. Jesus has called us to do a work and we're going to get her done. Amen. Isn't that right? Amen. Isn't that right, Josh? It is right, isn't it? Because God blessed you 10 years ago. I heard about that. 10 years ago today, you got blessed. How'd you get blessed? Stand up and tell everybody how you got blessed 10 years ago. <laughs> it's their anniversary today. Amen. Happy anniversary. Glory to God. That just is exciting. Hallelujah. What's that, sweetheart? They both participated. Well, he's the one that got blessed, though. She, she's the better half. Hallelujah. Amen. Of course, it was 10 years ago yesterday that Pastor Sidney acid cleaned our kitchen. <laughs> oh, where'd he go? He slipped out. See, 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 he ran away because he knew I was going to bring that up. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, that's kind of a secret joke, I guess. You'll have to figure that one out. Can we receive a, an offering this evening? We've got ushers in the aisle. Amen. Glory to God. We've got ushers. If you're giving in cash and would like a receipt for your giving, raise your hand. If you're making out a check, Armada is all you need to put on there. A-R-M-A-D-A. Somebody said to me one time, oh, I get it. That's Armstrong. Dale Armstrong. No, it's Armada. It's a fleet of ships. <laughs> it ain't about me. Amen. It's about Jesus. Glory to God. It's about God bringing all these ministries together. Thank God for the armada. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all ready to give? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this offering. We thank you all the needs and the expenses of the conference are met. We bless you and honor you for it. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. The ushers will wait upon the people and the people will be obedient unto the Lord.